1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now the Bible says in Peter there that we have all things that pertain unto life and godliness through knowledge of him, and through these things we can escape the corruption that is in the world. John tells us here in 3 John, he, he writes to Gaius, the elder there, and it says, I wish above all things thou mayest prosper and be in health. You know, does the Bible say anything about concerning our health? Should we suffer? Should we as Christians suffer the same corruption and diseases as the world? Isn't my Heavenly Father concerned about my health? I'm going to look at a couple other verses here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm trying to raise some provoking thoughts in your mind, obviously. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. That word expedient means they're not profitable. All things are lawful me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats to the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. But the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Verse 19. What? Know ye not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost that's in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In chapter 9, verse 27, verse 27, Paul said, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached others, I myself should be a castaway. Then in chapter 10, verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 15, verse 26, the Lord said to the children of Israel, And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments, keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that healeth thee. In his book, How to Feel Better, Look Longer, and Live Longer, Dr. Don Boyce says this, and he quotes Elmer jo- Joseph- Josephson uh, from, uh, in a book called God's Key to Health and Happiness, and he says this, and quote, God can keep you alive supernaturally without you eating food, but he doesn't do it. It is not his plan. God can keep you well supernaturally without your eating right, but he does not. It is not his plan. 
Now, this is not in God's plan to keep you alive without eating, so it's not in God's plan to keep you well without eating right, unquote. So, tonight, I want to title the messages to prosper in health. I want to mention, first of all, reasons we get sick. Now, if you get sick, that doesn't mean that it's because you're not eating right. But you know what? I'm afraid that most of our sicknesses are the result of that. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But first of all, there's three reasons why we get sick in the Bible. First of all, number one, for the glory of God. And I'm gonna be, you're going to have to look at it, go, bear with me here. I'm going to be looking at several passages of Scripture. John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Let's start there. So the first reason we get sick is for the glory of God. John 9, verses 1 through 3. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So this blindness was not because of sin or wrongdoing on their parents or because of his. And again in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, the Bible tells us that Lazarus was sick. In verse 4, Jesus says, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And then in verse 40, speaking to Martha, when he went to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. And then if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in the life of the Apostle Paul, remember Paul had a physical ailment, and uh, many people believe it was blindness, uh, very well been from, uh, from his seeing the Lord on the road to Damascus, he was blinded, and there were scales, remember, fell off his eyes, so, um, but anyway, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9, it says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there is given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. This thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, whether glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Uh, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. So I think it's kind of obvious from these verses and look at these examples that we get sick sometimes for the glory of God. God may be glorified. Uh, second thing we get, reason we get sick is because of unconfessed sin. Sometimes it's a direct result of sin in our life that's not confessed. Go to Psalms chapter 32, and we see this in the life of David. Psalms chapter 32. <clears throat> psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. This is, this is a psalm, uh, it's believed after, written after David had sinned with Bathsheba. And... Uh, 
And he says in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. And notice, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For in day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, uh, Selah. And then verse, drop down to verse 10, it says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. And the word sorrows, and, and thinking in context here, you know, notice he talks about uh, when I kept silence. In other words, commentators believe that it was probably a year's time between the time that David sinned with Bathsheba and he, he confessed his sin and got right with the Lord. And so it's during that time, he says, when, I, when he kept silence, my bones waxed old. In other words, Here's a man who's aging prematurely because of, the, of a guilty conscience. It is literally making him sick and killing him. That's what's happening to him. And in verse 10 he says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. And the word sorrows there is the word pain. Word pain. Uh, pain, mental and physical. In chapter 38, also, verses 1 through 8, again, he uses that word here. Uh, chapter 38, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure, for thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities are going over my head as in heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. You know, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the distresses or the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desires before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone uh, from me. Verse ten, uh, verse uh, 17. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow, there's our word again, is continually before me. <coughs> Excuse me. Job said in Job 33:19, he is also he is chastened also with pain upon his bed, and the multitude of his bones with strong pain. So David, because of his unkin, uh, was sick. I mean, he was aging prematurely. You find examples of this in the New Testament, too. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, a lot of people, especially this time of year, a lot of churches are using the Lord's table as a magic potion to get people to come to church. <laughs> it's not some magic potion. It has, no, of course, no saving merit. It's just done in remembrance of me. In fact, God gives us a very strict warning concerning it. And because the Corinthian church had violated that, there were some severe consequences. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. Let a man examine himself, so let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation, or the judgment of God, the condemnation of God to himself. 
not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And the word sleep is the same word used over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It talks about those that sleep in, G in Christ. Uh, so it's talking about some have, some have, some have died. Because they, they violated or took the Lord's Supper unworthily. Uh, there was sin in their lives. And, 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 of course, we know from reading the first, first Corinthians that there was a lot of problems in the church. Uh, so they, had, they had, uh, were, were sickly or some had died because of unconfessed sin uh, in their lives. So we get sick for the glory of God for, because of unconfessed sin. Thirdly, because of the violation of God's natural law. Excuse me, verse, 1 Corinthians 6. Go back to 1 Corinthians 6 once again. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God should destroy both it and them. Now, the word, as I mentioned, the word expedient means profitable. And Paul said, all things are lawful, but all things are not profitable. Um, as we consider, think about uh, eating or drinking, we're to do the glory of God, we ought to ask ourselves a question, is what you eat profitable to your body? Is it profitable? I think you probably realize that all of what is considered food is not equal in value. Especially in America. In fact, some is just plain toxic and harmful. And yet it's approved as food by the AMA and the Food and Drug Administration and all those. Um, in, his, in his book again, page 33, Devon Voice says, The United States Senate Select Committee on Nutrition Pure reported that medical research has discovered that half of all men who died of cancer died because of a lifetime of poor nutrition. Dr. C. Edith Ware, Assistant Director of the Human Nutrition Research Division of the United States Department of Agriculture, said, quote, most of all the health problems underlying the leading causes of death in the United States could be modified by improvements in diet, unquote. The Senate Committee Chairman said, quote, the threat is not beriberi, filagri, or scurvy. Rather, we face the more subtle but also more deadly reality of millions of Americans loading their stomachs with food which is likely to make them obese, give them high blood pressure to induce heart disease, diabetes, and cancer, in short, to kill them. We face the tragedy of anemic children failing in school and repeating that pattern of failure throughout their shortened lives, unquote. Wow, notice that the above was not said by a food freak or a natural food store owner. Virginia and Norman Rohrer wrote in their book, eat How to Eat Right and Feel Great, said, quote, an exhaustive three-year research project involving the United States Department of Agriculture and several universities and land-grant co colleges show that nutrition alone was able to reduce the incidence of many common diseases and in inadequate health up to 85%, unquote. 
Um, 2002, Mr. Alan Dickerson in his paper, it's called The Watchman, had this, this title, article titled Nation Out of Control, Control. It says, did you know that every day in America we eat 76 acres of pizza, 53 million hot dogs, 167 million eggs, 3 million gallons of ice cream, and 3,000 tons of candy? That was in 2002. Um, Yeah, all food is not equal. It's not equal. Apologetics Press uh, <coughs> article by a guy named Cal Boot. It's part of the article titled Laws of Food Consumption says food regulations enumerated in the first five books of the Old Testament have been scrutinized by credentialed professionals in the fields of dietary and pathological research. The regulations have proven to coincide with modern science's understanding of various aspects of health and disease prevention. In 1953, an ex extensive study by, performed by David Mock, published in the Bulletin of History of Medicine, a publication of American history of the history of medicine of the John Hopkins Univers Institute of the History of Medicine, tested the toxicity, toxicity of the meat of animals listed in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. Mock's technique was to place certain seedlings in fresh muscle juices of various animals, notice as clean and unclean, in the biblical text. This method was used at a time to study the blood of normal human patients as compared to the blood of cancerous patients. Mock noted that his results revealed data which are of considerable interest not only to the medical investigator but also to students of ancient biblical literature. Some of his results were indeed of interest. For instance, he would take a control group of seedlings that grew in normal conditions and compare that group of seedlings placed in various meat juices. He would then record the percentage of seeds that grew in the meat juices as compared to those that grew under normal circumstances. For example, when placing the seedlings in meat juices from the ox, the seeds grew 91% as often as if they were placed in regular growing solution. Seeds in sheep juices grew 94% as of often of those in regular group of solutions. Seeds in meat juice from a calf, 82, from a goat, 90, from a deer, 90, go venison. Uh, since these animals chew the cud and have a divided hoof, they were listed as clean in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. When several unclean animals were studied, however, they showed significantly higher levels of toxicity and much lower levels of seedling growth. Seedlings in meat juice from pigs grew only 54%, uh, in rabbits 49, camel 41, and horse 39. Results for larger animals suggested the biblical division between clean and unclean uh, could have been related to the toxicity of juice of such animals. He did similar research on birds and found the extracts from biblical clean birds, such as pigeon and quail, in his seedlings, 93 and 89%, while those from unclean birds, such as a red-tailed hawk, 36, or an owl, 62, were much more toxic. And uh, he also did uh, 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 fish. Um, special interests were experiments made with muscle juices and also blood solutions obtained from many species of fish. 54 species of fish were so far studied in the regard to toxicity of meat extracts. It was found that the muscle extracts of those fishes, which possessed scales and fins, were practically non-toxic. 
Heron or Herring, 100%, Pike, 98%, Shad, 100%. While mussel extracts from fishes without scales and fins were highly toxic, uh, and he says the observations described above corroborate the impression repeatedly made on the author in investigations as a physician, as an experimental biologist, and as a doctor of Hebrew literature, that all allusions of the book of books to natural to nature, natural phenomena, or natural history, whether in the form of factual statements or in forms of metaphors, similes, parables, allegories, or other tropes, are correct, either literally or figuratively. figuratively. Such being the extraordinary concordance between the data and the scriptures and many of the modern and even most recent discoveries in both the biological and physical chemical sciences. Every serious student of the Bible will, I believe, endorse the assertion of Sir Isaac Newton that, quote, the scriptures of God are the most sublime philosophy. I find more such marks of authenticity in the Bible than in profane history anywhere, unquote. So what he was saying is all meats aren't equal. There's a reason why God commanded the Jews not to eat certain things. Because they were more toxic. If you want good health, if you want to be kept from these diseases, don't eat these animals. That was the idea. I know that goes against our modern ideas of eating. You know, think about it. The unclean animals are scavengers. Scavengers. Just another thought. I read this. Trichinella spirellus is a parasite occurring in rodents, pigs, horses, and bears, and humans, and is responsible for the disease trichinosis, sometimes referred as the pork worm, due to it being typically encountered in undercooked pork products. And from what I've read, there's a debate as to whether it can be cooked out. And freezing does not kill it. And one writer that I read said one in three Americans has it. It's a worm. Causes health problems. Um, so, you know, all foods are not equal. Not even all meats are equal. There's some that is much more nutritious or better for you than others. And ought we ought not to consider the fact that maybe God knew before those, like he does about everything else we're finding out. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, there, there was a debate for years about whether circumcision should be done. You know, it, you're, you're, you're hurting those poor little boys. Well, God says to circumcise them the eighth day. That's when the blood clots the best. And they found out that there's health benefits to that as well. So some principles, what a time I have left. I'm going to just give you some basic principles concerning eating and drinking. Number one, we should eat in moderation and self-restraint. Notice, go to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. 
verses 1 and 2. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Verse 19. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. Now, the word rioters here means festive or indulgence. Uh, and he says not to be a riotous eater of flesh. Now this was, this was, remember this was written before refrigeration. And you have to wonder, what would biblical, what would, if, if we were to bring Solomon up to our day, how would he consider us and how we eat meat? I doubt if they had it every day. Because there's no refrigeration. Um, one, one Egyptian doctor said, man eats too much, quote, man eats too much, thus he lives on a quarter of what he consumes. The doctors, however, live on the remaining three quarters, unquote. Uh, go to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. It's a parallel passage there. Luke chapter 21. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, so that they come upon you unawares. And again, the word surfeiting uh, has the idea of oppressing the system by excessive eating and drinking. So, so we're to eat, we should eat in moderation and self-restraint. Secondly, we are to avoid, uh, we are also to avoid associating with those given to excessive eating. Of course, that was in Proverbs 19 and 20. We're not to, to be with riotous um, um, eaters. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. Uh, David Sorensen in his commentary said this, Indulgence, quote, Indulgence of fleshly appetites leads to economic duress, tends to induce laziness, it violates the temple of the Holy Spirit, it leads to health problems, it's a poor testimony for a Christian. Notice that drunkenness and gluttony are lumped together as parallel sins, Moreover, in modern American culture, have you noticed that those who, that how that those in poverty are frequently and obviously overweight? Another vice lies just beneath the surface, and this is a lack of self-discipline that leads to all manner of character flaws. Unquote. Uh, so, we're to you know be in moderation and uh, not be associated with those. Third thing we should consider: consider the health of our temple. And again, First Corinthians chapter six. You know, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. And our, and our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and we're to glorify our God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. You know, Paul said, I'm not going to bring my body in subjection. I'm not going to let anything uh, take control of it. So, so as we consider the health of our temple, I believe God wants us to be healthy. We should ask... Is it healthy? Avoid foods that are toxic or worthless. Or worthless. Um, of course, you know, one of the things that we know without saying is that we are to avoid eating blood. In Acts chapter 15 and, and verse, verse uh, 29, when 
when the uh, church of Jerusalem wrote and sent a letter with Paul, in, in which he taught this also, he says that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, ye you shall do well. Uh, so, you know, the, the disease is carrying the blood. So don't eat meat raw. Make sure it's cooked. Yeah. Uh, some other things, you know, uh, that we know from modern science, we should limit. Now, I'm not a health food person. We all know that. But we should try to limit sugar, carbonated drinks, chips. You know, I saw prevention one day. I was reading, doing a little reading. It said the number one and two causes of cancer most uh, are carbonated drinks and chips. Um, white bread, I call it dead bread. There's a um, article I got off the internet. Nine-year collaboration has just shown how sugar influences cancer cell growth. It's a long-known relationship between cancer and sugar, but figuring out exactly how it works has proven elusive. Now, thanks to a nine-year research project, science have made a breakthrough. Uh, they've narrowed down the mechanism whereby cancer cells metabolize sugar. And, of course, this research was started by a, name of, by a guy by the name of Warburg prior to World War II. And uh, uh, he said that you could starve cancer uh, by starving them of sugar. Uh, carbonated drinks, <laughs> a study by a Brazilian professor from Matt Grosso, Federal University has revealed the shocking truth about the effects of a can of a carbonated drink. It says, after just 10 minutes, 10 teaspoons of sugar hit your body, 100% of the daily recommended dose, you don't immediately vomit from the overwhelming sweetness because the phosphoric acid in the drink cuts the taste. After 20 minutes, the level of sugar in your blood erupts, forcing a rush of insulin. The liver responds by turning all the sugar into re it receives into fat. After 40 minutes, Caffeine absorption is complete. Your pupils dilate. Blood pressure rises. The liver responds by pumping more sugar into your bloodstream. Uh, Denosinine receptors in the brain are now blocked, preventing drowsiness and giving you an energy rush. After 45, the body increases uh, dopamine production, stimulating the pleasure centers, the same process that takes place with the consumption of heroin. 50 minutes, the phosphoric acid binds calcium, magnesium, and zinc in the intestine, increasing the metabolism. High doses of sugar and artificial sweeteners also increase calcium excretion in urine, or in other words, you are urin urinating your bones away, one of the causes of osteoporosis. 60 minutes, one after, hour after consuming, the caffeine's diuretic properties come into play. You urinate, now it is guaranteed you will be putting out of your system calcium, magnesium, and zinc, which your bones need. As time goes on, you'll experience a sugar crash. You'll be cranky, be ready, have already excreted everything that is in the drink, but also essential properties which your body needs. Then you'll reach for another. No wonder the president has banned cola from Brazil. <laughs> uh, you know, the interesting thing is, in 1907, the average American consumed seven pounds of sugar a year. Today, it's 80 to 100, one person.
Um, we're drowning in sugar. You know, a 12 ounce Pepsi provides 103% of your sugar intake needed in a day. Uh, lemon fruit pie provides 115%. A serving of Kellogg's Marshmallow Blasted Fruit Loops provides 40%. And a quarter cup of pancake syrup provides 103%. Uh, corn syrup is very high. Well, um, McDonald's, a, a Cinnabon provides 123%. Large McDonald's Shake, 120 Mr. Misty Slush at Dairy Queen, 280%. Burger King's uh, Cinnamus with icing, 95%. Um, and one of the biggest problems with high sugar foods is that they replace more healthful foods, uh, the article states. So, so um, we're going to limit these things. Um, limit fast food. There's a uh, Lehigh Valley Baptist Church has a, a uh, uh, yeah, trying to remember what the, the thing is. Anyway, um, there's a chiropractor on there writes that, and she said, "Don't be food or why I hate fast food." That's the art, title of the article, and she said, "I mean no disrespect to any fast food company for making a greenback buck and succeeding in business, but I can't stand them." Although I have my own personal food preferences, for the purposes of the article, I'll relate only to health issues. One of the greatest marketing strategies that fast food companies have employed is the perceived value meal. Taco Bell actually began the program. They learned that people choose food based on quantity and not quality. So this means if you throw in a large soda and upsize your fries, you will pay to eat a larger burger than you would if you paid a la carte. Uh, re really, a small fry is sufficient. Most people will not bypass a good deal. Overeating is not a healthy habit habit, it usually leads to obesity. Eating to satiation and not a gluttonous stupor is a good guideline. Calorie intake, beware. You are a target. From the music being played to the lighting on the colors on the walls, it is designed to make you consume. Since one in three Americans is obese, there is a possibility that, added, that the added 200 calories per meal from fast food is a contributor. Carcinogenic ingredients. This is the real kicker. Uh, and I can't pronounce all these names, but it's a chemical that appears in the grilled chicken, which forms when meat is heated to a certain temperature, is associated with human breast, prostate, and colon cancers. There are chemicals that line fast food packaging to make it greaseproof and waterproof. The substance leach to the food inside the packaging and up into your bloodstream. Above more than 90% of Americans has traces in it that is linked to cancer and liver disease. Caramel coloring can be found in cakes and sauces and soda, carcinogenic. Sodium nitrate used to retain meat color to inhibit bacterial growth on food breaks down into nitrosamines with potential to cause cancer. This is just the tip of the iceberg, but convenience costs, not just money. Um, and lastly, said it's cost to be ill. When you really grunt and groan over the cost of being healthy, face this fact. Life is expensive. Money is a tool to be used, not hoarded. If you do not invest in your health, you will spend in your illness. Invest in health care, not disease care. I know that sometimes it is sickness that encourages us to choose better, but aim your error at health. Be bold, be engaged, and jump in uh, in the deep end. Um, and, of course, drink lots of water.
also another thing we should limit is white bread in his book Don Boyce says this white bread should be avoided since modern refining has removed the necessary elements placed there by God for good health most bread has had numerous preservatives dumped into it to keep it fresh on a grocery shelf. It's interesting to note that when rats have a choice between whole wheat and wheat white bread, they always choose whole wheat. Do rats know something most people don't know? White flour is bad news for your stomach and digestive tract. After the heart of the wheat is removed, it is bleached, destroying about 70% of the vitamin E with a gas called chlorine. Chlorine is poison. I mean, you use chlorine to bleach your laundry. You ever try drinking it? It doesn't taste good. Um, I tried one time. Not on purpose. My mother-in-law had a habit of putting chlorine in, chlorine in water in, in jugs that she used for iced tea that would get stained to try and bleach them. And it, it was sitting on the counter, and I poured a glass full of it and took a big sip one time. But anyway, uh, That's what they used to to bleach white flour. A renowned British medical scientist, Sir Edward Nellenby, fed dogs a diet containing bleached white flour in 